Hey everyone, I'm Justin Fiedler and this is Dirt Tracker Conversations. Logan Wagner is a regular on the Central Pennsylvania Sprint Car Scene and drives for one of the area's iconic teams in Zemco Racing. In 2020, Wagner took down his third Port Royal Speedway Track Championship and he did it in a unique way, needing to beat his dad to do it. On this episode, Wagner talks about getting to race against his dad, getting a later start in his racing career, driving for the Zemitis family, his weekday job as a private jet pilot, and more. But before we get to Logan, this episode is brought to you by Blood Lubricants. If you're a regular listener to the Dirt Tracker podcast, you've been hearing me talk about Blood for a few weeks now. While Blood might be a newer brand name, the guys and technology behind it are not. The folks behind Blood have decades of experience making high-quality lubricants, and their technology and products have a proven track record across many industries and applications. You can take advantage of their knowledge and experience to keep your race car performing at its best with their line of high-quality synthetic racing oils. And don't just take my word for it. I'm just a dirt racing fan with a podcast. But you should listen to guys like Corey Eliason, Danny Dietrich, and Craig Kinzer. These are serious professional racers with a ton of race wins on some of the biggest stages. They all trust blood products in their race cars. To see the full line of blood lubricants and accessories, visit bloodlubricants.com. That's B-L-U-D lubricants.com. If you'd like to receive 25% off most products, use code DIRT at checkout. That's D-I-R-T, all caps, at checkout. Now let's get to my conversation with Logan Wagner. Logan, I guess I want to start with you win your third Port Royal Speedway Track Championship this year, but you do it beating your dad. And like, I feel like over the course of, of you know, history in, in motorsports, there's lots of guys that have gotten to race with their dad, but how many have actually gotten to race for a championship against your dad? And I, yeah. I want to start there. And, and I guess, how was that? What was it like actually racing against him every week? Yeah, like you, like you quoted on there, like a lot of, not a lot of people, but some different people get to race with their father and compete against their dad um, in multiple forms of racing, whether it's NASCAR, sprint car, you know, NHRA, but not a lot of people get to go head to head and race with them for a championship and, and for it to come down to even like the last points race was really cool. You know, it's something I'll embrace for a long time. Um, something, something I'm going to cherish, you know, we, we may never get to do it again. We may get to do it a couple more times, you know, if, if the circumstances fall in the right favor, but, uh, it was definitely something I'm going to remember for a very long time. What's um, it like being out on track with him? I mean, I, I, yeah. you, like, do you try to treat him like everybody else or, you know, do you yeah. guys kind of race each other differently? I like, you know, like whenever we first started racing, my guys used to joke around with me. They used to say like, it's a big billboard, you know, that 55's out there. You know, I'm going after him like it's a big billboard, but uh, I just try to, you know, race him as clean as I can. I, I know his money situation, you know, and um, I know I can't run, you know, completely out with him. But in the same sense, he's still a competitor. I'm still going for the position. So, yeah, we slide job each other and I'll run him to the fence. Uh, we bumped wheels in the past going for the lead. So there's a lot of memories that I, I do get to cherish. And, and, and luckily, we've never had complete and utter disaster so uh yeah thus far we've raced really hard with each other and, and we've always come out uh with all four wheels on the ground i would imagine he was obviously a fairly large influence on your own racing career and, and i'm wondering when you first kind of start racing against him like was there a point where he like shuts down the information like i'm not telling logan anything else because he might yeah. use my information to beat me yeah you know like he, he's always over at our trailer and, and i'm sort of sneaking around his trailer and we always joke you know his guys are like get out of here your competition you know so it's really cool in that aspect, but yeah, there, there was a point where, um, you know, when I'm start when I went from three Oh fives to four tens in 2014 that we, uh, 
we stopped sharing a lot of information, you know, so uh, we'll still bounce stuff off each other. But in the same sense, every weekend I'm going to compete against him and um, I'm taking money out of his race team and he's taking money out of my pocket. So, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I want to win and, and it's more for the gratification and the, and the bragging rights than anything really. And kind of looking back about your, you know, your kind of own history in, in a car and stuff, am I correct that your first actually like real racing deal was actually in a sprint car? Yeah. Um, I raced quarter midgets and stuff when I was a kid, but I tore up a lot of stuff, you know, like I was that kid that just tore up stuff. I was just wide open and I run motocross for, um, a couple years, two or three years. And I got into, uh, into 305 sprint cars, but that was my, that was my first experience. Uh, my brother started when he was 15 years old and he wrecked a lot of equipment, uh, went through a lot of dad's, uh, you know, used 410 stuff. So they thought I was going to do the same thing. And uh, I was very fortunate when I when I first got into it, I, I was able to manage the equipment and, and didn't really wreck a lot of stuff early. So I got to keep on racing. But that was the resulting factor of me starting when I was 17 instead of younger. But uh, well, I would have really liked to start a little younger. But dad said, either you're racing motocross, you're racing dirt or you're racing sprint cars. So I couldn't race them both. And I, I feel like we look at now, you know, you see all these kids now that get started so young um, and, and yeah. with you kind of getting a little bit of a later start, do you feel like that hindered you or do you feel like it helped you being as how you were older, maybe a little more mature before you got in a race car? Yeah, I, mean, I definitely hindered, you know, you look Kyle Larson starting when he's 12, 13 years old and all these young guys, you know, Christopher Bell and all these guys that are starting when they're young. I think that opens the door uh, sooner if they want to get to a NASCAR or, or get picked up by Ford or Toyota. Um but I also think, you know, Tony Stewart touches on a lot of really good things to the maturity level and, uh, and a lot of like the asphalt guys, um, when you're older, you reach a different maturity level. So you can't roll them out either. But, uh, I think it definitely hindered me. And also, you know, dad's living his own dreams. Uh, a lot of times when we're running three Oh fives, I would go to the races and he'd be racing somewhere else. So he wasn't really at the track a lot. Um, when, when we run three Oh fives and stuff, and even when we run four tens, we're competing against him. So um, there isn't a lot of, you know, stuff where we bounce stuff off each other as much because he's living his dreams and I'm living mine. When you first kind of get started, where were you racing at? You know, where, where, were you traveling at all? Were you just kind of staying local? Like what, what did that look like? Yeah, there's a small little bull ring called Path Valley Speedway. That was my first racetrack. And, uh, nice thing about 305s is we got to bounce around. So I got to go to like Lernerville, Port Royal, Lincoln, Williams Grove, test out all these different tracks, Susquehanna. And uh, that really helped me with different surfaces, different conditions, changing the car, this, that, the other. And um, that helped me for 2017 when I managed to win uh, quite a few shows for my little operation at, at four or five different racetracks. And, um, and that bounced me into 2018 where I got picked up through Zemco. Did you like have grand visions of NASCAR, IndyCar? I mean, like, you know, when you first got started, or did you just want to be at the racetrack? Yeah, no, I mean... It, Ultimately, you know, like every young kid, I feel like that starts racing. They always want to do it. You know, they want to make it. Um, but, you know, you get to a certain point where maybe you just got too old, you know, or you got, <laughs> you're, you're 29. I just turned 30 yesterday. So 30 years old. I have a daughter now. Um, I ain't saying I wouldn't love to do it. You know, I'd love to make millions racing and, and, and drive one of those cars and really just be versatile in multiple forms of racing, just like Kyle Larson is. So, yeah, it comes down to your own goals and aspirations. But yeah, I definitely had those aspirations and, and still do to a point. 
you, as you're coming up, you make the jump from 305s to 410s. What was the reasoning behind that? You know, was it just the right opportunity came along? Did you, you know, were you like, okay, now I, I've done this for a while. I feel like I'm ready. You know, what was the decision making there? I, I think you just get to a point like in 2013, I managed to win like 13 features and won three different track championships. So I knew if I come back in 14 and I didn't do that or better, um, I'd be washed up then I'd fall off. So actually 13, I didn't have any money at all. I was selling gun tickets to try to buy heads for a 410 engine and um, just the craziest stuff, you know, cutting radiators apart to sell copper to try to try to build one of these 410 engines just to see what I can do. Um, I knew I had to make that jump and that jump was that year. It, it just got to the point where you got to do it now. If you do it under the year of 305 and you don't, you don't run to that same level, you're just not going to, you know, you're going to be looked at as a washed up driver in 305s. I would imagine all, all through this, you're kind of like working on your own stuff, correct? Yeah. Setting your own cars up. Yeah, yeah. Your own cars. Do you think that makes you a better driver or do you think maybe that doesn't make you a better driver? It seems like, you know, we've got some guys that have come up that don't really know a lot about the cars and we've got some guys that come up that know a ton about the cars and it, you know, it doesn't seem necessarily that there's a rhyme or reason one way or the other why which one works and which one. Yeah. Doesn't. There's definitely two sides of the coin. You know, as you know, you got a guy like uh, Keith Kaufman or Kyle Larson. I ain't saying Kyle don't know anything about a car, but you talk to him and he's very, uh, He's very just focused on his own driving and, and working on himself as a driver in the race car than he is on, well, we should have put a turn in the right rear or a half turn on the left rear or this shock, you know. So you can definitely overthink it. And I watched my father overthink it for years. You know, he's going out in the racetrack. He's his own mechanic. He's his own uh, driver. He's his own team owner. So you have all these things mixing it together and you're trying to uh, put it all together. And when you're on the racetrack, you think, well, maybe I shouldn't have put that stiff bar in the right front. The car's doing this, this, and this. So it was definitely a change when I got the Zemco car just to let them handle the setup. And honestly, going out every night, I don't even want to know what tires are on it. I don't want to know if I'm running 96, 94, because I don't want to overthink it. So um, a lot of times I'll just go out there and rip and, and see what happens and try to correct for the car within the first couple corners to what it's doing without having a premeditative thought in my mind of what it should be doing. If you kind of take a look at your own racing and, and maybe the style of racer you are, as, as you're coming up there in Pennsylvania and the, the insane amount of sprint car talent there is, is there somebody you were trying to emulate, somebody you wanted to race like as you were coming up? Yeah, I mean, you. I watched Keith Coffin for years at Port Royal, um, just dumping in as high as he could and as hard as he could into one, and I just thought that was so cool. So uh, pick up a little from him, pick up a little bit from Lance DeWeese, you know, the smooth, the finesse, the run in the bottom, uh, run in the middle. Just running like a really smart racer um, was sort of the changing point for me in, in second year's M code is to really try to run smarter rather than harder. So then you got a guy like Kyle Larson that just, he turns it up. And a lot of times I just feel like he's just neutral. And all of a sudden when he cranks that trigger up or he gets upset, he just shows a different side. So, you know, you want to get, get aggressive when you can. And um, yeah, there's different races that showed that. Even like Todd Schaefer, he was just wide open all the time. So I just feel like I try to pick different things from different drivers and, uh, and formulate my own style within myself. Obviously, Kyle had a ton of success at Port Royal this year in, in a track yeah. you've had a ton of success at. Did you see him maybe do things differently or, or, you know, did he run different lines? I mean, what made him so good at Port Royal this year? Yeah, the fact that he could run an inch off the wall the whole way around, you know, like, so it's really tough there because the wall sort of goes, it has a bow to it in a lot of places. So it's tough to hit the spots you want to hit. 
um, there, especially right off the fence without getting into the fence. And, uh, and the fact that he could get good in so high and so hard and catch moisture on entry, much like Keith Kaufman did years ago, um, and get into that bank and use the wall for drive and stuff like that, that you didn't see a lot of guys doing two years ago and you seen a little bit last year, but now, you know, you, you see guys really turning it up and, and making that work. And, you know, like I, I diagnose a track because Steve Stanley does a great job with, with prepping that track and he'll change the banking night in, night out, you know, so I'll get my indicator out there and see how many degrees the top bottom middle is before I even race on it every single night because he changes it all the time. But for Kyle to literally just hop in a race car, hop in any car out there and adapt the way he did, um, and he's doing it everywhere, is just what mine blows my mind. <laughs> I guess the other guy to ask you about with Port Royal is, is Anthony Macri because he obviously was very good at Port Royal this year. What do you see in him as a driver? Yeah, the confidence more so than anything. You know, that, that kid, uh, Jim Shuttlesworth, instilled some confidence in him. And I talked to Macri's dad, and I said, that's, that's the best move he could make. Um, get rid of Moon. Just, you know, Moon was talking bad about it. Just a bad deal there. And for him to put Jim Shuttlesworth in that position as crew chief, more so than anything, just instilling confidence in him to run the wall the way he does. So, yeah, you know, I tried to shake Macri a couple of times this year at a driver's meeting, and he was like, Logan, you're not going to shake me. Like, <laughs> just stop, you know? So I was like, wow, you know, this kid, uh, he's really grown up over the last year, and I can see it in his driving. I, I want to ask you about racing the Zemco car. It's, it's obviously such an iconic race car in, in Pennsylvania. It's had so many great drivers in it over the years, but how does that opportunity come together for you to be able to jump in that car? Yeah, I was. Um, Actually, it was Blaney. He, he, him and Zemco didn't find success, I think, in 17. And it really wasn't what they wanted, both of them. And uh, I contacted uh, John Zemitis and, and Pee Wee and uh, talked to them about possibly getting in the car and never really thought much would happen. But I still wanted to stay consistent with them. So it was like a month later. I was like, hey, you know, can give me an opportunity. And, and they were like sort of showing signs that they might be interested. So it was like blood in the water for me. I started calling John every morning, every night, you know, texting him, Hey, I'm your guy. You know, I knew I needed that ride in a bad way. Um, cause I knew how successful that ride could be. So I wanted it so bad. I was, I was going up to the shop. I called Tommy the one day I said, Hey, can I come up to the shop tomorrow morning? I want to talk with you. So I drove like two hours up to the shop on a whim and, and met with him because I wanted it. I wanted it so bad. So uh, that was sort of the t turning point with uh, Zemco and I when, when I showed that dedication, I feel like. How is it like, how does your mindset change when you go from like, you know, obviously racing a lot of your own stuff to then get an opportunity to, to go run somebody else's car and, and, you know, not have to worry about, you know, all of the work and, and all of those things necessary to even get to car to the racetrack on a daily basis. It simplifies everything. You know, it simplifies my mindset stepping into a race car. Um, I don't have to worry about is my trailer tires going to make it to the track or are they going to blow out or, you know, let's leave two hours early today just in case something were to happen with the rig or the truck. So literally just showing up and driving in my sense of ease that I can do and, and, and get to the track. And, and on top of that, it, it is a higher level of um, performance. I put myself on, you know, that higher pedestal, um, but that's all on myself. So I try to make sure every single time I strap in the car, I'm 100% mentally prepared and ready to go because I don't have a lot of jobs, but I don't want to screw up that job that I do have. Why do you guys choose to run Port Royal? Obviously, you've won three championships there now, and, and with so many tracks around, you're able to race. Why Port? 
Yeah, I mean, Port Royal is just up and coming. I mean, you don't get a better facility, better people to work with than Port Royal. And John Zemitis, you know, he's he's done his thing. He's won at Syracuse with Billy Pouch. He's um, traveled around. He did his own outlaw tour for like 20-some years and running 100-some shows a year. Um, he's done all that, and he, he chooses to run Port Royal. He, he, he really feels like what they're doing there is uh, is beyond anything that any other track's doing. Improvement wise, safety wise, track prep, track surface, um, working on getting better payouts and, and higher paying shows. He literally just loves to come up there, sit in the grandstands, and watch his car run at Port Royal and go home. He he don't have any more to prove, and and I'm in a position with racing and flying that uh, I get to take unpaid days off and sort of fly part time in the in the um, summer months and be able to race part time too, so I can mix it both together. When you kind of look around and, and you know, I, I, I want to get to your flying here, here soon, but like when you look around at, at when you're going to put your schedule together for the year, obviously you're like, okay, we're going to race Port Royal, but then how from there do you side, you know, whether you're going to go to Lincoln, whether you're going to go to the Grove, whether you're going to maybe hit an outlaw show here and there, like, you know, is it weather based? Is it, you know, are you actually picking and choosing before the year starts? What does that look like? Uh, a lot of it's based on how we're doing throughout the year and, and how everything's rolling and how everything's working. So if we're running good, uh, we'll sort of branch out and do some more stuff. But if we're not running good, then it's sort of tough too. As you you know, look at the kind of landscape of different Pennsylvania tracks, do you have one that's your favorite? Do you have one that maybe gives you trouble? I mean, is, is Port Royal the easy kind of favorite call here? Um, I would say not. I would say, uh, you know, Williams Grove is really tough. That's just a really tough track for someone to sort of adapt to. But Port Royal, it sort of fits my driving style, you know, keeping it winged in faster, high pace, uh, use the wing to your advantage and keep your momentum up. I feel like I excel at that. And that's sort of my, my go-to really as a driver. And you mentioning you being a pilot, I, I definitely want to know kind of the story of that and how long you've been doing it, you know, why you went that direction. And, and then obviously how you schedule work and driving a sprint car. Yeah. So like, um, like I said, my work, I take unpaid days off throughout the, uh, the summertime and, uh, and I fly part-time and race part-time. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm fortunate enough with being in the position, man, I've been at this company for 10 years and, and we fly uh, Cessna CJ3, CJ2 pluses, CJ1s, and uh, then I also fly a Sovereign. But uh, to be able to work work with uh, my flying schedule and also my racing schedule, it, 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 I think it really helps. You know, it, it helps me as a driver, it helps me on and off the track and, and uh, it's a heck of a lot of fun. When you're flying, I mean, are you flying, you know, is it a charter deal? Are you, are you, are you flying the same people around? And like, I mean, how far do you go? Are you going all over the United States, all over the world? What does that look like? Yeah, no, we, uh, we do part-time. Uh, we do some, some charter, 135, and then we also do 91, which is owner-operator. We have a couple different airplanes that are 91, and then we also have a couple different airplanes that are 135 charter stuff. So we do a lot of, uh, a lot of um, Florida trips in the wintertime, a lot of uh, main trips in the summertime. You know, a lot of these people, they want to be in a position or, or a place that they, they're not in a lot, a lot, you know, so in the wintertime, they go south to Florida when it's warm. In the summertime, they go north to Maine or places like that. So we do that. Then we also do some international um, Canada, down the Bahamas, Mexico, stuff like that. So uh, I was just out in Colorado, which was a lot of fun. Montrose, Telluride's beautiful. I uh, got to spend six days out there in California some, but yeah, my, my schedule is uh, really open in the, uh, in the winter time. So I'm flying a lot more right now. 
is it like one of those things where it's like when people that know you as a sprint car driver find out you're a pilot, they're surprised. And the people that know you as a pilot find out you're also a sprint car driver. Are they surprised? Like you kind of get that from both sides. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah, I do. I feel like I'm still running into people that are like, Oh heck man, you know, I've been at the races for this, this long and I didn't even know you were a pilot. Right. So yeah, I, I sort of keep both of my lives a little separate. Uh, but in the same sense, it's really cool to sort of, um, you know, talk to different pilots and post on Instagram and, and, and do the pilot side while doing the spring car side. It's a lot of fun. I, I would imagine you probably have some amount of kind of downtime or whatever while you're flying. Like, do you kind of end up like getting lost in like, you know, sprint car stuff while you're, while you're flying? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. Like even when I'm flying, I'll listen to podcasts through my headset, you know, or, or wing nation or whatever it is. So yeah, it's, uh, when I, when I am flying, like I flew out to Montrose and hung out literally for seven days and, and I got to do a whole bunch of racing stuff and, uh, you know, kicking off a new apparel brand and stuff like that is, is what I've been focused on all my attention on when I'm on my downtime. As you kind of take a look back over the last couple of years and, and winning the championships at Port Royal, are there differences between the three years? Did you have to do different things to win each year or, you know, was it kind of the same game plan from year to year? Yeah, no, I feel like every year is different. You know, you have a, a different guy that's racing the track. You know, Brent Marks was more prevalent this year than he has been. I felt like it was a lot tougher this year to to have success at the track because you had more people that could run the fence and, and would run the fence. And also you have guys like Lance Deweese that can roll the bottom. So uh, every year you have to be on top of your game. And you have to get better and better and better. So you just don't want to get stagnant, you know, and, and I felt like we had a little bit of, we got a little stagnant there in the middle of the year, but uh, and we we upped our game towards the end of the year and we pulled through. What do you think now as a driver after winning in 2020, you're better at versus when you won in 2018? Yeah, just being versatile. You know, running the bottom, running the top, knowing uh, what the cars are going to do when I get to them, uh, working with traffic, working just just a better feel for the car overall too and what it's doing it's tough to run 40 shows a year and be competitive with guys that are like like macro that are running over 100 so um you, you just got to stay you got to stay on top of your game really when you kind of look back over you know the career you've had up to this point and like you know then start kind of looking forward to maybe what's next like are you thinking about, you know, more traveling? Are you, you know, focused just on Port Royal? Like, you know, would you like to go run more outlaw shows, more all-star shows? Like what would be like the, the kind of perfect scenario for you going forward? I honestly, I'm sort of in a position right now where I either need to probably run 80 shows a year or just dial it back to 40. You know, I just need to either go all in or, or settle back a little bit. So um, I'm in the off season right now, so I'm trying to make that decision on, on what I need to do here as a driver. Um, it's, it's hard to run that limbo schedule to where you're maybe running 50 shows a year. Um, you either need to go wholeheartedly into it or, or not go at all, really. So um, I'm amped up and I, I want to do it more and I want to race more. So we'll see what the, we'll see what the future has to offer. When you're start, like, I'm, I'm always curious about the process of finding new rides and, and obviously you talking about getting in the Zemco ride, but when you're a driver and you are looking, is it just like, try to network as much as you can send out as many messages as you can? Like, are you trying to be strategic about it? Like, you know, certain guys are, you know, open to maybe you driving for them. Like, how does that, what does that strategy look like when you're trying to find a ride? Just staying in the loop, you know, always having someone that's always in the loop and always having someone that's, uh, 
is sort of has feelers out there, right? You know, because flying and racing sort of go hand in hand in that sense, because a lot of flying jobs, if they last more than three years, you're doing a really good job. So uh, racing is the same thing. So you just got to got to have your feelers out there and see what's going on and never burn any bridges. I think it was Paul McMahon said earlier this year on Twitter, he's like, you know, with the CJB thing, he didn't burn any bridges and he's back in the car, you know, for Charlotte. So uh, just staying humble, staying humble in your position and, and not acting out uh, when you have a really good opportunity, you know, you're not acting out in a bad way. Uh, as you kind of um, are in the off season right now, what what are the things that you do to to stay prepared? I mean, are you uh, you know watch dirt vision races? Are you a workout guy? Like you know, what does that off season preparation look like for you to be ready then for next year? Yeah, right now it starts actually when we get off this Zoom meeting. I'm I'm going to uh, pick up a whole bunch of Rogue Fitness. I got everything coming in to redo my whole entire downstairs as a full workout gym. So. Um, that, that's my direction in 2017. I was the fittest I've ever been in my life. And 18, I carried that into it. Uh, 19, I was doing some hit training and, and 20 was tough with Corona. So, uh, the results show when you're mentally stable and you're men- mentally and physically fit, you're going to race better. So I want to really get back to that. And, uh, and I also want to really get back to networking and, uh, and keeping everything, um, on social media and, and keeping everyone involved. I feel like, People get to see a side of a racer at the track, but they always don't get to see a side of a racer at home. So um, th- that's that's important for me to branch out from here and, and do those things and, and stay mentally focused. Tell me about the uh, apparel deal that you mentioned you're working on. Yeah, it's going to be uh, Loud Pedal Apparel. Loud Pedal Lens is a sunglass company and an apparel company for at the racetrack. You know, so um, and it's going to be versatile at all forms of racing. Uh, it's not just going to be sprint cars. So. I, we got some different stuff coming down the pipeline for 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 2020, beginning of 2020. Um, I'm going to kick off this company here at the beginning of 2021, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be really a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to be we're going to venture down into a new realm here. Might even give away a car. I I, I don't know. Um, so it's it it's it has been a lot of fun picking picking different stuff, different brands, different sunglasses, and uh, and it's it's formed around racing. So it's everything I love. Where, where can we find out about that in the future? Is that just going to be like kind of on your social channels? Yeah, it'll be on my social channels, be on my uh, Logan Wagner racing page. And then also you'll see it through most of my stuff. So, yeah. This, uh, this show probably won't come out for at least a few days after we do this uh, conversation, but I, I wanted to at least mention, you know, you're, you're doing Black Friday stuff and it seems like, uh, you know, this is a good time of year for people to kind of get, uh, to get some good sprint car merch for, for Christmas presents and stuff. So where can people find your, uh, your merch at? Yeah, we just actually released the new track championship shirts, three-time uh, Pete shirts, and then also 2020 championship shirts. And that's all on LoganWagnerRacing.com. And uh, we're really active with that. We've had a really good following uh, thus far for the pre-order sales, which turned out great. Um, actually calling tomorrow to uh, R&R there, and, and they're going to start printing stuff. So you can follow us on that, or you can just come to the track, and we'll have the van there, and, and everything will be available. So I always do appreciate the support of fans and racing fans in general. That's uh, just a huge loyalty and a huge dedication um, to drivers and, and, and teams. Thanks to Logan for taking the time 
It was really great to be able to chat with him. I loved hearing about all the things he has going on, including chasing his passion as a sprint car driver, flying jets, trying to start an apparel company, and more. You certainly can't fault the hustle. You can keep up with Logan on Twitter at LoganWagner7W and find his website at LoganWagnerRacing.com. You can find the Dirt Tracker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or where you get podcasts. You can also watch the shows on YouTube. For more cool dirt racing stuff, visit DirtTracker.com and follow Dirt Tracker on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok.